Welcome to QArt Foundation's Critical Distance podcast series, produced as part of Meeting Artists' Needs, a professional development program for artists of all ages and backgrounds. QArt Foundation's Meeting Artists' Needs program is generously supported by the Joan Mitchell Foundation. You're listening to The Artist Financial Support Group Speaks Openly About Money and Debt. Welcome and thank you for coming tonight. I'm Kevin Castle, the 2014 to 15 Public Programming Fellow at the Q Art Foundation. This is the third event in the series, If It's Not Work, It Must Be Play, Discussions on the State of Work in the Arts. In the series, we're hosting experts, including labor economists, urban planners, activists, and financial consultants to analyze and respond to issues facing artists and their professional practice. This discussion could, of course, go on for years, but we will only be able to cover a fraction of the concerns and challenges to our practice over the course of six events. During our last event, the New York-based activist group Working Artists in the Greater Economy, or WAGE, shared their research on artist compensation and their resulting institutional certification program which aims to regulate the payment of artist fees based on the operating budget of the institution. In the event before that, we were joined by three feminist labor economists who shared their perspectives on the undercompensation of labor in the arts and humanities. These talks are both available on the Q Art Foundation podcast channel, and this one will be also, so please feel free to share it with your friends and colleagues and students if you're a teacher. Tonight, we will talk specifically about the financial lives of artists and the financial conditions that can be prohibitive to creative practice. Our guest is Ben Graney, the president of the Artists Financial Support Group, which is an organization of theater artists that have become educators and advocates on issues of financial stability and debt management. The Artists Financial Support Group engages with the arts community to discuss challenges such as how to balance a budget on a fluctuating freelance income, how to manage student loan debt, especially with income uncertainty, and financial advice that can be shared among artists. Tonight we will learn more about the group and their work, as well as discuss these challenges with the bigger picture of arts education and employment. After about 45 minutes of an interview and discussion, we'll have a Q&A open to the audience. I want to share one more idea. Tonight, we will hear what theater artists have discovered when managing many of the exact same issues that visual artists face, such as educational debt and low income in the field of our training. In hearing from other areas of the arts, we share ideas across the art community as a whole and eliminate information silos. Please listen for parallels and take away ideas that are useful to you. And please share those ideas with your colleagues and students openly. Let's keep these conversations going and support institutions like this one that are willing to host them. We are stronger if we all throw our weight behind these issues and work together. Please join me in welcoming Ben Graney. Hi, everyone. We're so glad to have you here this evening. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having um, me. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and your work as an artist? Yeah, um, I am a, an actor here in the city and a writer. Um, and um, <clears throat> most of my work so far has been um, 
uh, at regional theaters around the country um, and on Broadway here in the city and uh, off-Broadway as well. So that's mainly what I have, have done so far in my, my artistic career. And you're a graduate from the very prestigious acting program at New York University, mm -hmm. um, now working as an advocate and educator on issues of artists and money, financial stability, and debt management. How did the artists' financial support group begin? Well, like you said, I went to um, uh, NYU grad acting, which is uh, part of the Tisch School of the Arts, and um, it was, uh, you know, it is and was for me one of the best, you know, um, artistic training programs in the country, and um, I was incredibly happy to be there, and I had an amazing time. Um, and what happened when we got out of school, I, I graduated in 2008. Um, and, if you all remember, that was just when everything in the financial crisis was happening, and it was not a fun time um, in terms of finances. So um, NYU has, itself has gone through a lot of changes um, in terms of finances. But when we were in school, um, a lot of students were being pushed towards private loans um, instead of um, the government loans that were available to them. Um, and we got out of school. I luckily don't have private loans. Um, Actually, let me back up for a second. We usually start by saying how much we owe in debt. Um, in our support meetings, in our workshops, so I'm gonna pause for a second and say that I ended up, I left school with $70,000 worth of debt. Um, I now currently have about 17,000, and that's through um, some great work that I got, and also the generosity of my parents, and um, some other factors that I, you know, that are, part of it. I had like an interest-free loan from, you know, an organization. Anyway, so there's a lot of things. Um, anyway, the, the point of that is to say that getting it out there is kind of the first step to like owning the debt that you have, not being afraid of it, and facing it head-on. So, we got out of school. Um, my class was about uh, 18 people, and um, the Artist Financial Support Group started just like that, a, a support group. So. Uh, we got out of school, and our, 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 you know, our grace periods of our loans started to come due, and we had no idea how to deal with it. We had a very, very lacking financial education at NYU, um, and that's not to put blame on anybody. That's just what happened. Um, we were very focused on our artistic careers and our artistic lives, um, and the finances got pushed under the rug, which is something that we're discovering happens to almost every artist. Um, so, loan statements started coming due, um, people started freaking out, and the anxiety and the shame and the fear of what was going to happen was going through the roof, and my classmate, Freddie Arsenault, who started the, uh, he was the one who started the Artist Financial Support Group, who still works with us, um, he uh, got everybody, he just sent out an email to alumni, current students, to anyone who wanted to talk, to get a room, we got, we got a room at, at our program on the fifth floor of Tisch, and, and we sat in a room and, and yelled and screamed and cried and, and, uh, and just put all the issues out for the first time because we all felt so isolated. You know, it was such an isolating experience having this mountain of debt coming out of school with. Um, and that was the first step, really. And then, you know, subsequent meetings after that, we just kept meeting and it felt really good and people's anxiety started to lessen and, and we actually, you know, went through the, the equations on how the income-based plans worked, and we figured it out on a chalkboard, and we got everything kind of figured out, and we figured out how to like start managing this 
huge debt that we didn't even really think about while we were in school, which we should have been thinking about all along. So that's kind of the, that's the genesis of it. And then we wrote a, we started writing a book and we, you know, that we've, we've been working on it for years and we started, maybe created workshops with like, you know, PowerPoint presentations and, and, um, and that's, that's kind of how it started. Um, the mission of the Artist Financial Support Group, as stated in your materials, is to educate, advocate, and innovate. Can you give us more details about this three-part mission? Yeah, so we, um, our whole thing, we want to educate student and professional artists on how to deal with student loans or loans and budget on an erratic income. And that just means that we go to anywhere who will listen. We talk to anyone who will listen. We talk to, you know, we've taught at uh, NYU in mul multiple departments at Tisch. Uh, we've talked at, um, we've given our workshops at Juilliard, Yale, the SAG Foundation, um, the Actors Fund. Uh, and we do talks like this whenever we can. It's just kind of getting our message out there of trying to um, uh, be f uh, financially self-advocating. That's kind of our whole... <laughs> Like, if, if, if you guys take away one thing from this talk tonight, um, this is the term we like to use called financial self-advocacy, which just means being your own self-advocate in, in your finances. It's the easiest way to be, um, to take control of that portion of your life. And you should be a self, you know, you should be your own advocate for every aspect of your life, but the finances, we found, is the easiest way to start practicing that. Mm -hmm. um, and so that just means that you take control. You ask the questions, you make the calls, you read the fine print, and you do all the research uh, to know every in and out of what is going on in your finances. Um, and so then we advocate. We advocate for, for um, changes to, to you know, the educational debt, you know, the debt system. We're, we're trying to keep on top of all the news. We try to, we try to you know, post everything to our Facebook page. We try to, you know, if, we, if there's a petition that comes out that we want to you know, put our members behind, we ask if you know, we, we'll send it out. Um, and then we try to innovate new ways to manage the debt and to figure out how to budget on an erratic income as an artist. And, um, and we do that by creating, we, we, we figured out a way that, something we call the reverse budget, which is budgeting based on how much you need to make rather than how much you're making. Um, and figuring out how to, how to balance, how to keep all the plates spinning. That's kind of, those are the, that's what it's all for, really. Mm -hmm. um, there are increasing numbers of artist-led advocacy groups with the mission to address the financial health and stability of artists and to bring educational debt particularly into an open conversation, which can be difficult to do, as you pointed out. Um, just last week, Cooper Union hosted a large conference on the artist as debtor, which was produced by Coco Fusco and Noah Fisher. And by now, organizations such as WAGE, or Working Artists in the Greater Economy, BFA, MFA, PhD, Art Home and Assets for Artists, and many, many more, are familiar names to us. But the Artist Financial Support Group is unique in that you actually run a support group. It sounds like, from what you said, that the support group was one of the first things that sort of brought your organization together. Um, so the rest of it just evolved from there? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, that's how, exactly how it started. We started as a support group for people who just didn't have anywhere else to turn, no one to talk to. Um, and, uh, and then once we started becoming, getting the, we, once we started knowing all the knowledge that we have, you know, we kind of figured out, we figured out how, like, methods of doing all this stuff and figuring out, figuring out the, the fine print and all that stuff. And, and uh, we, then we got busy with workshops and we were writing our book. And, um, and then uh, when we got to a certain point where we had, we're kind of, you know, we had, had established ourselves as a nonprofit, uh, we're under the fiscal sponsorship of a nonprofit uh, called NIFA. So once we had established that, we 
we had we kind of went back like well like, let's go back to our soul like let's go back to like the reason why we started and that's having a support group for people to come and just talk about anything anything they want mm -hmm. um, to do with their finances and um, and so we now we hold one every month um, uh, mostly most of the time at the Actors Fund um, and uh, and so it's just a place where people can come and you know talk about anything finances offer advice. You talk about the emotional life that happens when you're talking about your finances, what that's like, how to get it off your, get things off your chest, you know, how to like, it's just all about reducing the shame and the stigma of, you know, being an artist and dealing with your finances. That's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we kind of, we started out that way, we, we, then we, you know, built some structures and then we came back to it. Yeah. And you um, advertise that this all takes place on uncomfortable metal chairs arranged in a circle. <laughs> it does. It does actually. Um, actually, no, no. The Actors Fund has very nice chairs now. They just went oh, through okay. a renovation, so <laughs> they're comfortable chairs. chairs. Yeah. <laughs> um, so mainly, you have artists attending. Or, I'm sorry, actors attending the group. Are there other um, creative professionals that are starting to show up at these meetings? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's. Um, you know, we have a very diverse group of people in, in terms, in, in every aspect, um, age, race, you know, art. There's just like every, there's just, we've had people come in that are of all kinds. So um, mostly it's been theater, theater artists because that's mm -hmm. our community that we started out with. Um, but we've started getting visual artists, um, you know, people who work um, in the nonprofit side of, of the theater world mm -hmm. um, and directors and all these, you know, lots of, lots of different people have come through. And can you share some, without violating the privacy of, of this setting, um, yeah. can you share some of the main themes that you find people are, you know, recently bringing to you? Yeah, I mean, it's, people come with, with very specific questions that they'd like answered or just like advice about or they just like to say. Um, obviously, I can't, I can't say what those, those issues are, but like, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of what we dealt with when we started, just mm -hmm. feeling underwater feeling like you have nowhere else to go you feel like you don't know what to do um, feeling like there's it's so impossible that you're just gonna put it under your bed and not think about it um, and so those are the kind of themes that people come in with and then you know at the end of the meeting you know there's lots of there's lots of advice that's been thrown out and um, lots of resources that no one that not everyone knew about and and it's exciting to see people kind of leave with some kind of weight lifted off of their shoulders you know so um what are what are some of the pieces of advice or types of pieces of advice that you would offer to professionals who are dealing with income uncertainty and um, the fluctuating income that seems to go hand in hand with work in the arts? Yeah, I mean, some advice off the top of my head um, is if you don't have a budget or if you're not used to budgeting, that is the like that's probably the first thing that you should be doing. Um, Again, we talk. We have a thing called the reverse budget, which is basing your budget off of how much you you need to make every month to meet your expenses, rather than how much you're making, um, because it's so erratic all the time. So knowing that number kind of gives you a baseline in which you can aim for every month, and that you don't need to freak out about because you don't know how much you're making, you don't know how much you need to make. Um, so budgeting, that's kind of like a number one if you haven't done that. Um, and there's way, there's like tons of places now and apps and online things that are like amazing to do this. So like, you know, one off the top of my head that people love is Mint, mint.com. It's free. It's a budgeting tool that's really comprehensive. Um, and, uh, 
figuring out what repayment plan you need to be on if you have student loans. Um, if you don't know that there are, if you have federal loans and you don't know what payment plans are out there, go to studentaid.gov, figure out what payment, what payment plan you might qualify for, what payment plan might be right for you, and then apply for it. Um, and that could dramatically reduce, again, your anxiety, your fear about when, what, when's gonna, when things are gonna be paid off and, and how much you have to pay every month. Um, so yeah, those are, let's see, those are two things that I can think of off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. um, what is our advice? Uh, don't be afraid of, uh, open, open all statements, open everything. Open all letters from, from, all, from your credit cards, from your student loans, from um, you know, any place you owe money to, or any bank that sends you statements, just open everything. Don't be afraid of opening your statements. <laughs> That's like, because uh, we, we, you know, there's a story where like, we had a member when we first started who's like putting all of her envelopes from her student loan servicer in a drawer and not opening them. And she could have been using that time to figure out her payment plan and figure out how to make the money to pay it back. Um, and so open everything open everything, and it, it, what's even better now, you can sign up for everything to do on, you can do it all online. So sign up for all the online options that you have, you know, um, for your student loans, for your credit cards, if you, if you haven't done that already. It's way easier. If you know the numbers and you see them every day, they become less scary. Um, and then just like I say how much, you know, like I told you guys how much debt I have, I should also say I have $4,000 in credit card debt, which I'm hoping to pay off very soon. Um, the more you are open with it to people, whether or not you know, like whether or not you want to share it, kind of the less scary it becomes too. So it's as an artist, we kind of got the uh, you know we understand the emotional the emotional aspects of the debt and how to not be ashamed or afraid of it. And that's kind of the um, like the easiest thing you can do is just like talk about it with people. <laughs> so that's what our support groups for, really honest. You know, that's that's what people do there. I think culturally we have this training that we're not supposed to discuss these numbers openly. So, we, but let me ask you: if the numbers are very, very scary, can you bring the envelopes to the support group and open them there? Sure. No one's done that yet, but that's a great idea. <laughs> Absolutely. I might. <laughs> You're more than welcome. <laughs> um, I read in one of your interviews. Um, that the group recommends taking five years after graduation from school to nurture your career and then you know making other employment choices after that period of time that may yield better financial results can you explain that statement yeah um you know it's if you go to art school you want to practice your art when you get out um and you should you should do that and you know, we hope that the advice that we have for, for young artists getting out of school, we hope that if they take our advice, that it'll allow them to do that. Um, life has a funny way of, of you know, make, taking you places you didn't think you were going to go. So at the end, you know, give it, like, you sh if you train to do an art, you should do it as <laughs> best as you can. And it, you know, five, five years is kind of like a arbitrary number. I'm not, I don't, you know, there's not like, it's not like, you ha we, not like we say, we say we have to, you have to have five years and then you do whatever, do something else. It's not like that. You know, five years is just a round number where like, you can have an early career and figure out if it works for you, figure out if it works for your life, figure out if it works for your finances. And then at five, you know, at around five years, mm -hmm. maybe take another look at it. Um, and another thing is that there's no shame in 
not being a professional artist anymore if that's not working for your life. Like if it is and the struggle is, you know, it's still a struggle and you still want to do it, great. If you don't want to do it, there's no shame in that either. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like if you define that you want to have a family or if you want to have, you know, like a, you want to move somewhere overseas or whatever, whatever it is, like if you've reached the point where you've nurtured your career and it's not what you want, then you should, and if you want to do something else that pays you more money, great, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then do it on the, like just do it for the love of it on the side, there's no shame in that. So again, reducing shame, that's all, that's like what that whole statement's about. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, it has to give like, part of the getting out of school and like figuring out which, which repayment plan you need to be on, like it'll drop your payment to like a very manageable level um, in which you can take jobs that don't pay very much. And, it'll t and if you're budgeting on a reverse budget and you, ha and you figure out how much you need to make every month, you know, during that first time out of school, you know, it'll, it'll allow you to take, take jobs for free if you need to, for, for little pay, for no pay. Like, it, it'll allow you to do that um, in this kind of first nurturing phase of your career um, with kind of as little money anxiety as possible. So, yeah. So the Artist Financial Support Group does advocacy and financial literacy training on college campuses as well. And on your website, you write, in the fall of 2010, several alumni of the NYU Graduate Acting Program met in New York. I assume you were one of those people. Yep. <laughs> and after graduating from one of the foremost artistic training programs in the country, we found ourselves working in the arts and yet struggling with debt and student loans. We were beginning to realize that we might not be able to afford to be artists simply because we had gone to school to be artists. This is such an important time to be working with young people as they are making financial decisions that will impact the rest of their lives and often without any background or training on managing large financial commitments. Can you tell us more about this realization that you might not be able to afford being an artist because you had gone to school to be an artist? Yeah, um, I mean, artists are some of the most driven and like passionate people that are out there. Um, and when you get the opportunity to go to a school like NYU Grad Acting or Yale or Juilliard or RISD or you know, Columbia for painting, like whatever it is, when you get the acceptance to, do go, to go to that school, you, know, you don't hear how much you have to, you're gonna have to pay out. You hear, they want me. And it's, you know, I feel that my education was worth it for me. Um, I'm sure that there are many other people who will say the opposite in many other programs, but um, so you get to the school and you don't really, f you're, not, you're not really thinking about the, the implications of your finances and what that's going to mean um, when, when, you, when you go through school and when you get out. Um, and so we try to, what we do is we try to get into the, we try to get the first year classes to think about the financial decisions they're making now and that they're gonna have to make because they accepted their place in the program. We'd we were saying, we we're talking a little bit earlier, we'd like to go into high schools and be able to talk to kids going into high school, or going, coming out of high school, um, about the financial decisions that they're making. Um, and it's all about, again, financial self-advocacy, taking that um, moment of time to put on that little you know, green accounting hat and like read the fine print and not push it under the rug and not just sign the papers. 
you have to really understand how things are working. Like would a stock, you know, a stock broker wouldn't make an investment in a company without doing all the due diligence about price to earning ratio and, you know, whatever. Just all these things that stock brokers do automatically. Like artists have to do that too. And again, there's no shame in that. Being an artist and knowing how finances work does not make you less of an artist. Moliere ran a company. Shakespeare ran a company. You know, like Andy Warhol ran a company. Like all these people are brilliant business people. Um, and there's no shame in figuring out how that stuff works. And because you have financial stability um, in your financial life, your artistic life can flourish. Mm-hmm. And sorry, I kind of went off the rails there. What was the question? <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll just go on to the next question yeah. point, which is, um, you know, you mentioned that um, earlier at the time that you were in school, there was a lot of encouragement to take on private loans instead of yeah. the government loans right, that were right. available. So that's one that's one choice that, that you could um, share yeah. with young students right. and say, be aware of this. This is something to, to watch out for. But what else can they do? I mean, the, the sticker price is the sticker price, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... Um it's also about being, um, also I, have, I must say that, you know, like my program wasn't pushing us to, it was the, NYU as a whole was, was they actually got in trouble with, <laughs> they got, got indicted at some point, I think, by doing this. Now it's a very different climate. There's no, almost no private loans offered to students anymore, um, which I think is a good thing. Um, again, this is a very different climate before the financial crisis happened. So, um, there's, you know, it's again, it's about being finan- your, your own financial self-advocate. So if you need more money from, to go to school where, where someone has accepted you, ask for it. You know, the worst thing that they'll say is, we can't give it to you. Um, and then you can also have the power to say, well, I can't come here now. You know, like, it might be very hard, but you have to know what the payments are going to be like when you get out of school. Um, and they're generally going to be higher than you thought they were. Um, so, you know, asking, asking for more money, being proactive about scholarships, grants, foundations that have money to give to students, um, and also, not, not, you know, if you, being, being aware of what ha- what's happening to your money while it's in school, while you're in school, and um, asking for, pe- you know, if you have the ability to ask for, for money for, from other people in your family, other, you know, if you have a wealthy benefactor, like a, like a friend or a neighbor or an uncle, an aunt, whatever, like being out there asking for what you want and need. You're only, you're only going to get what you ask for, you know, it's not like um, things are going to be dropped in your, in your lap if you need it. So that's what we, we, we try to encourage people to do that, to be proactive and be their own self-advocates. I think that's a really interesting, um, it's an interesting problem to be talking with young college students about the cost of the program and you know being an advocate for yourself and asking for more money and being ready to walk away if you don't get it yeah um, because I think that it's um, you know and also um, just to go along with that real quick like you know thinking like a business person also like if you get an offer from two schools and one offers you half and one offers you full but you really want to go to the place that offered you half you'd be like guys these people at the other school are offering me a full ride. Can you match that? You know, like that kind of thinking is gonna help you in the long run. Mm-hmm. So that's something that you could do. Have you felt that in general, um, the artists, the young artists that you've been working with 
haven't felt in the position to make that sort of uh absolutely yeah okay yeah sure i mean i think a lot of artists um operate from a a place of of uh lacking of lack you know there's not it's hard to it's a hard it's a hard thing in our business in our businesses and our various different art businesses but like you know it's it can feel like there's a scarcity of everything and there is in in some sense you know there there actually is um but like the more you work against that the more you're going to find that there is for you in your art and in business so it's almost like anticipating lack and not wanting to rock yeah, the boat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, I want to go back to this idea of, of university programs um, and dig in a little bit more. Um, American Theatre Magazine wrote an article about your organization that's titled Debt Sentence. And for everyone who's present today, that article is available as you walk in at the reception desk. In this article, they suggest that no one wants a theater degree for practical reasons, and I think we can safely substitute an array of arts degrees into that statement, including an MFA and so forth. They further quote an assistant professor in dramatic arts from University of Southern California saying, you have to want it beyond rational thinking. It's not rational. It may be borderline irresponsible. I know that we all have very personal stories and answers to the question of why we pursued a degree in art or design. Um, at the time that we made these decisions, it most likely did not strike us as irrational or irresponsible. In your experience working with the support group and with students in university programs, why do young artists pursue a degree in the arts and are they being irrational? Well, I mean, I think there is a certain amount of irrational think—not thinking, but irrational irrationality—to pursuing a career in the arts. I mean, it's um, it's a huge challenge, but uh, it's also a life that is incredibly exciting and incredibly thrilling, um, and incredibly challenging. So. I think what artists don't understand is that going to arts programs, um, you learn so many more skills than what you're just studying. And I think that it can be, um, you don't really realize it until later. You have all these other skills. For example, I, I, uh, there's a great program at the Actors Fund called the Actors Work Program, which any actors listening, um, I suggest go to. Uh, and it's a great way to figure out what skills you've, you've figured out, you've, what skills you've gained being an actor and an artist. And the skills are numerous. And you realize that there are people in the business world that don't even have close to the skills you have in terms of presence, you know, public speaking, you know, um, organizational skills because you organized your, you know, like you, you put on plays with your friends. Like that takes a lot of organizational skills. So like there's all these things that you have that you don't realize. It. And I'm sure that visual arts have a, visual artists have a whole range of skills that they don't even realize they have. So yes, there is a rational thinking in terms of like going to, going to, you know, spend a lot of money for an arts degree. Um, but if it's your passion and if it's what you want to do, I don't think that's a waste. That's irrational at all. I don't think that's, that's not wasted time and it's not wasted money, in my opinion. Other people have very different opinions, but that's me. Um, and so again, like, uh, you'll, you'll, get, you have, you'll gain and you have other skills than you think you do. 
from those arts degrees. So I, I feel like it's kind of, I don't know, I feel like it's uh, like people can be, can be maligned for going into an arts, you know, studying art in, in school. And I think that's unfair. And I think that's kind of, frankly, uh, people don't realize how much art is in their lives and how much they need it to non-artists, how much non-artists need it to live a f fulfilling life. Mm -hmm. So just for example, if you look at your iPhone or your iPod or whatever, you know, there, the, the, there are the main functions of it. Obviously, there are many more functions nowadays, but when like an iPod, I mean, iPod first came out, what was it, it was for? It was for music, movies, reading, you know, like, these are all arts. These are all these, this whole billion dollar tech industry around gadgets that, you know, Kindles and, and I, you know, everything. It's all for arts. It's all to, to art delivery systems, you know? <laughs> and I think that people um, kind of malign artists and students going into arts for uh, pursuing this because it kind of is counter, it's a kind of a counter, counterculture, you know? It's like, we don't have nine to five jobs and we, travel the country or world and do crazy things like, I don't know, I feel like there needs to be more acknowledgement of um, the arts in normal life for everybody who's not an artist. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> kind of a side point, you mentioned this resource for actors where they help you discover the skills that you yeah. have mm -hmm. and, and maybe translate those into other opportunities. Yeah. I think every so often visual artists see an article come out on Forbes or something where they're like, visual artists highly in demand in corporations for the theme. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't think there's anyone there that's helping people translate themselves into that context, so mm. maybe we need to expand on that resource. Yeah, it would not be a bad idea, for sure. <laughs> on the other hand, I kind of like my non nine to five life, so yeah. <laughs> it might ruin everything. Well, another thing that I learned there is that, um, you know, if you're an artist, you're gonna have periods of unemployment, you know, that's just it. Once you make peace with, that, peace with that, it's a lot easier to like figure out how to make things work in your life. And another thing that I learned at, that, at the Actors Work Program was that having, a, was, was calling my other work, my day job work, my parallel career. So one career does not end the other, you know? Like having another career, having a parallel career does not ending my acting career. It's just running alongside it. <laughs> So. That's a great way to look at it because I think it's really tempting to think of it as defeat. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, totally. But it's, it's not. Parallel. It's not at all. It's right there beside it. Yeah. Holding hands. To support you. <laughs> right. Um, getting back to this idea, though, of, of being irrational or irresponsible, um, we were talking earlier about um, having been very fortunate to participate in a rigorous academic environment or rigorous uh, professional environment in, in our school programs. Um, in retrospect, with regard to your own career in the arts and, and your current work, do you believe in the value of the program that you attended? Um, or would you do things differently now? And if so, what would you change? Um, I absolutely believe in the program that I went to. Um, it was such a an incredible artistic experience. You know, I was there for three years. It made me the artist who I am today. I couldn't have done what I've done in my career without doing that training. So um, for me, it was 100% worth it. Um, and the financial risk was worth it too, for me. Um, 
If I had to do it over again, I would, I would ask for more money. Um, I was given like a half, uh, well, no, I was given like a third ride, a third scholarship. Um, and I would also be way more diligent about looking for scholarship opportunities and grants, grant opportunities and foundation opportunities outside of NYU itself. And I would have done a lot more work to try to get more money that way. Do you think you would have taken your own advice to ask for more money and be prepared to walk away if they declined? Hmm. I don't know. I was 22 when I started school at NYU, so I, and I didn't get into other schools I wanted to. I probably wouldn't have. I probably would have done it. I probably would have stayed. Yeah. So, um, for it those, been, it might have been different if I had other options too, but yeah. Right. So for those young artists who are not prepared to walk away, yeah. what other strategies would you recommend for them to pursue this thing, to be in an environment that really is exciting for them and they yeah. feel that they're growing a lot um, and yet manage some of these um, growing expenses as they're there each year in the program? Um. Well, for those three years, um, or however long the program is, you have, essentially, you, you get to do the opposite of a reverse budget. You get to plan your, you get to budget your, all of your expenses on, um, on how much money you, you're making. Making, I haven't, you know, is in quotations because you're, you're using loan money. Um, but you get to use that opportunity to be as um, smart about your money as you, as you can. If you've never had a budget before, that's a great opportunity to figure out what your expenses are and how to lower each one of them. Um, and also to, make, to understand that the loan money you're spending in school is not really, um, it's, it's kind of like monopoly money. So every dollar you spend when you, with loan money is really $1.50. Every beer you spend, you know, $6 is $9. You know, it's like you have to have that awareness about the money you're spending when you're in school. And credit, card, credit cards, to be honest, like, is the same concept. So every dollar you spend is dollar fifty, really, because of the because of the interest. Um, so yeah, I would I would say that it's a it's a perfect time to budget, to be frugal, mm -hmm. treat yourself well in terms of like uh, getting deals <laughs> in places that are cheap. Um, but but yeah, budgeting is number one. <laughs> so you could be in a program where you're looking at thirty to forty thousand dollars of tuition every year, and maybe you can't chip away too much at that, but yeah. um, an estimate for cost of living annually in New York City is at least $20,000 yep. a year. So your recommendation would be to chip away at that. Absolutely. That's the one thing that if you can't control the tuition, you can control your expenses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in my last year of graduate school, we were required to take a class in professional practice, which included a rundown of money issues, insurance methods of practice, and so forth. In that class, the professor excuse me, asked us if we, who were students in architecture, thought that it was okay that our education cost as much as an education in law practice, with the key difference being that our incomes would never match theirs, and law graduates had a reasonable chance of paying it all back and moving on with their financial lives. Do you think that arts education is overpriced? I personally do, yeah, absolutely. Um, this is part of the advocating wing of our organization that we try to, you know, we're trying to get, talk, talk to schools to get, you know, lower tuition for artists. I mean, I feel like 
art schools have to take some of the responsibility for offering these degree programs that they know are not going to make you much money either ever or for a while, you know? So it's, um, I think that there does need to be some kind of system in place where art students get to pay less than a lawyer or a doctor. You know, it's just, if, if those programs are going to be offered to the university, I think there just definitely needs to be some kind of shared responsibility. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think in the past, one could make the argument that these, these uh, programs, although they were never as costly as they are now, um, you know, they were, they were themselves employers in the arts, and they were employing professors and giving them um, financial stability, so there was some reciprocity there. But as universities are moving increasingly towards adjunct, a temporary um, teaching staff, um, one wonders if the cost is not reflecting the discount that's occurring there. Yeah. Um, is it possible that universities are complicit in this irrational thinking by offering these arts degrees that cost much more than the average artist will be able to pay? And do you see any university programs that are reacting to the hardships faced by their graduates and adjusting? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a lot of complicity about it, for sure. Um, it's, not, it's probably not malicious, but I think that there is a lot of, I mean, you know, just in terms of, like, the number of, of people going after STEM degrees, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like science, technology, engineering, mathematics, you know, all that stuff. It's like, the, just the number of those people going into those programs is just less than, you know, than is people, people going after those degrees aren't as many as people going after, like, the arts and humanities and liberal arts, but all those kind of, you know, English and literature, like, so I, I guess, there, yeah, there is some, definitely some, they are, I think the universities are complicit, for sure, because it, it fills out their bottom lines, I think, in a way, um, and uh, there are schools that are doing um, a great job of getting more tuition for artists, um, Yale being one of them, you know, they offer a really great financial package, you're obviously going to have to take out living expense loans, too, but the, the amount that, that they're giving people is, uh, is quite astounding and, and really powerful and great. Um, and other schools should be on that path of the elite training programs for arts programs across the country. I mean, if they're not thinking about it, they need to be. And if they're not doing it, they need to start because uh, uh, it's just not tenable. It's, just, it, it's unsustainable in our professions. And ironically, um, while they're encouraging the idea of prestige and hierarchy yeah. within the field, they're also saddling these very ambitious and talented artists with debt that could prematurely end their career. Absolutely, yeah. And do. It happens. I have classmates that once they got out of school, they left, you know? Let's talk about jobs and earnings. Okay. <laughs> Let's move to the lighter subject <laughs> of jobs and earnings. <laughs> I'll give a parallel example from the visual arts. Um, in our last speaking event, an art another artist adv advocacy group, sorry, uh, which I've already referenced at least twice tonight, called Wage or Working Artists in the Greater Economy, discussed their research on artist earnings. They discovered that for the most part, there is no line item in an institutional budget for artist fees and compensation, which means there is no money specifically allocated in an institutional budget to pay artists for exhibiting their work. So it's always pinching money from here and there to toss a little over to the artists. Um, 
as you put it before, maybe it's not malicious, it's just not organized and it's not structured. Um, therefore, many visual artists find themselves working for exposure rather than money that can pay their rent and their bills. And as your web, website puts it so nicely, you can't eat a dream. How is it in your field? Are theater artists compensated fairly for their work? Yeah, luckily, I mean, uh, there's, there's, very, there's two very disparate sides. Yes, there, we have a union, we have a stage union called Actors' Equity and a, and a you know, screen union called SAG-AFTRA. Um, and if you're working under contracts, um, generally you're gonna be protected well and paid well through those. Um, but the, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, we definitely come across those options and those opportunities in our profession too, of, in the theater profession, of, of people working for free, for exposure, um, that is completely, you know, it, it's exactly the same thing where, you know, you, you don't get paid for the work you do, but you get paid in exposure, you get paid in a drink, you get paid in a meal. It's like, I think it's, I think it's disrespectful. I think it's like, you know, not fair. I think it's, you know, I'm sure that many artists think that too. Um, I saw like a cartoon recently about this issue where like, you know, they're talking like different professions, like saying like uh, doctors, like, oh yeah, I just do this for like, you know, I just do it for fun. Or like a lawyer is like, oh yeah, like I, I'm getting great exposure being in this courtroom. You know, like it just doesn't happen that way. And, and uh, you know, you're not going to trust, you're not going to trust, uh, you know, a guy who works, you know, a barista who works as a professional barista. You're not going to trust that person to make a beautiful painting. You're not going to trust a, you know, um, you're not going to trust a lawyer to go on stage and on Broadway. You know, you're not going to trust any of those people to do those things that are professional jobs. You know, like people don't understand. Like when they look at us, when it, when it's when someone sees a movie and they're like, "Oh, I could do that." If they're thinking that they can do that, the artist, the actor, is doing their job so well that they're making people who have no idea what it's like thinking they could do it. And it's that kind of that kind of disconnect where it makes people believe that they can just be like, "Oh, yeah, that's no problem. I'll just." I'll hop on stage, I'll make that painting, I'll write that book. Whereas, you know, but the thing about arts is that people from every walk of life can do that and become artists. That's the great thing about art. But you're not gonna, you're not gonna, um, <laughs> you're not gonna find that very often. Most of the time, people are, you know, go through rigorous training programs, you know? So I guess the point is, is that there should be enough respect for the artists of all kinds that they should not be working for exposure and should not be working for a meal or a drink. They should be getting paid and it should be part of the budgets of everything. You know, if you have a gallery open and opening and people and the artists aren't getting paid, you know, there's like all these people who come in for the experience to see the beautiful art, to take a date, to drink, to have fun. And that's part of life. And the, per the person who's providing that opportunity for those people to come in and have that part of their lives should be paid. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. I feel like I know the answer to this next question, <laughs> which is, do employers uh, have a responsi responsibility to the health of the creative field? Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I mean, the thing about, uh, you know, Playwrights Horizons it comes to mind is because they're, they're offering a new, um, I'm not sure what the, what the specifics are, but like there's a, there's a package now for, or like some kind of extra help in terms of healthcare or pension or something. Um, in working with their young playwrights who are who are coming up in their in their theater, um, and so I think that there's an increasing awareness about that exact you know issue, um, 
And luckily, again, if you're unionized, you have uh, some kind of structure behind you that's helping you with these exact issues. Um, but yeah, I think that I think as people become more aware of the importance of arts and um, that it's not just a random thing that people can do, it's a skill that's that's most often trained and very you know hard. It takes a hard tons of hard work to do. Um, I think that it's becoming more and more possible that people that employers realize that this is an <laughs> the integral part of their of their you know their business. So again, like you know, it, it, when 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 actors feel so like there's such a lack of you know work and a lack of everything to be honest to make theater all you need is an actor and an art and an audience that's it you know to make art all you need is someone to paint it and someone to look at it everything else is kind of you know is this business that has built up around it but really that's in an essence what it is 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 those just the artist and the person looking at it that's all that's what it comes down to. And so I think that people are becoming more aware and they have to treat those people who are making the art fairly. Mm -hmm. um, equity and fair pay in the arts is an international concern. It's coming up in cities across the world. The Guardian recently ran coverage on the financial plight of theater artists there. And I think actually they touched on the idea of subsidy and maybe the audiences mm -hmm. should be subsidized also yeah. to make sure that this is... Um, a relationship that continues and, and so forth. But anyway, in the article it was stated very bluntly that the biggest subsidizer of the arts is not Arts Council England, but the artists themselves by working without livable pay or sometimes without any pay at all. They stated that half of all theater directors in England are earning less than 5,000 pounds a year. What do you think about this idea that artists are the biggest subsidizers of the arts? Biggest subsidizer of the arts. Um, yeah, I mean, for to a certain extent, that makes sense. I think um, you know, you give up a lot to to practice your art. Some people, you know, mo most artists give up a lot. Um, hmm. I think what's also an interesting idea, at least in our country, is that um, you know, things like unemployment are kind of an art subsidy. <laughs> you know, and uh, and I think that. Again, artists don't need to feel shame about that, about taking you know unemployment when you need it um, and you're eligible for it. Um, I'm not really sure about like. Do you mean like artists like subsidizing in terms of because their their quality of life is so so much lower? Or? Because they're working without pay for yeah. you know they're working for exposure or oh, for got it, you yeah. know pay that's not really livable. Yeah. So they're they're actually making in a way a financial contribution to the arts through sure. working for free or almost free. Yeah, I mean I think that I, mean, I think that you could probably you could probably follow the financial equation of that and it would make sense that that's actually what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very interesting too when you add to this discussion that many of the institutions that these artists are working for and with are receiving government funding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And with their, what is the responsibility there? Right. Yeah. I, mean, I think. Yeah. Totally. Um, I just want to thank you for being so uh, generous with all of your knowledge and, sure. and ask you in closing my portion of this yeah. discussion. Um, are there any long-term or broader concerns for the arts community as a whole that, that you would like to bring to our attention in addition to what you've already discussed? Hmm. Um, let's see. I mean, I th honestly, I think, I, I think that 
that it's just going to what it come what it's going to come down to over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years is is especially in New York City, let's say, is making you know, making it a, a vibrant city to live in and affordable for artists. Just general affordability of living in a, an American city affordable for artists. I mean, I, I've heard real estate people say this, and I think it's true, is if you want to make money in real estate, follow the artists. Because they go, to, they go into an org, a, a neighborhood in the city and, and they revitalize it and make it livable and then everybody else wants to live there. So I think that there needs to be a, a clearer cut portion um, of, of what that revitalization is, is, stays with the artists. <laughs> I think it's something that's really important that needs to happen. And also, the, um, I think there needs to be more awareness of, the, of what the arts brings into people's lives who are not artists. And... Um, and you know, I think that there also can be, um, I feel like artists can be, you know, can, I know there's a, lot of, there's a lot of talk about people moving to other cities, and I think that that is great and healthy for the artists, too. Like people going to, you know, Detroit or whatever, and that's what's going to happen to Detroit, is the artists going to go there and they're going to revitalize the city. I think that's probably going to be the kernel of what happens in that city over the next 50 years. So, and again, just because it's what I deal with all the time is lower tuition lower tuition for the artists and lower tuition in general for everyone you know you can attend school in germany for free like an american can you know but you can't you can't really do that here unless you have a full ride somewhere which does happen obviously but but um yeah so lower tuition <laughs> yeah real estate and real estate i'm so glad you brought <laughs> no. that up too because our next event actually is titled artists and gentrification and it's all about speculative real estate and um Three different professionals will be here discussing strategies to uh, stabilize artists in their communities yeah, where really they've important. invested yeah. and, and become part of the community. So that'll be on March 6th, um, and tickets are available on the website as they were for tonight. Thank cool. you so much. Yeah. Um, we'll open it up now for questions from the audience. If you just say your question, I can repeat it into the microphone so it's captured for posterity. Is the support group open to the public? Yes, the support group is open to the public. Um, all, yeah, all you got to do is go to our website. On our website, it's Artists Financial, Artists, plural, ArtistsFinancial.com. I mean, yeah, dot .com. Um, no, dot .org. I always get the two mixed up, sorry. <laughs> um, Google it. Google Artists Financial Support Group. <laughs> um, you'll, on our website, you'll get a, there's a web, you can sign up for our newsletter. And it's, uh, our newsletter is um, sent out every time there's a support group when, when the details are. That's it. And sometimes Yeah, most often it's at the Actors Fund now. Yeah. Is there a charge to attend? No charge. <laughs> it is free. <laughs> yes. It's going to be sometime in February. We haven't nailed down, the, nailed down the date yet, but that will be going out. You can go to our, our Facebook page. We'll have all that information, too. Yeah. That was a really great question about um, using mint.com as a budgeting tool. And um, would there be help at the support group to work through some technical issues or set it up in a more efficient and effective way? Yeah, I mean, uh, we can do our best to help you that. We, we're, not, we're not ourselves, um, uh, you know, we didn't create mint or anything. Like, we don't, we don't, we don't have, uh, like, uh, I guess, well, we don't have any, like, um, Min specialist, yeah, we're not min specialist. That's good, yeah. Um, we can try and help you with whatever we, you know, we can with, with whatever questions you have. We also can offer like, you know, 
templates that we've used, um, which are just Excel spreadsheets, basically. Um, but uh, yeah, we can do our best to help you. That's kind of what it's all about, too, at the support group, support group meeting, is that if you don't have an answer, bringing it to the group and getting people's, you know, people, most, most often people have had experienced the issue you're having, or, or someone else has something to say that will be helpful to you. And that's kind of what it's all about also. Sharing, sharing advice and sharing, um, uh, you know, things that can make your life easier. <laughs> so yeah, we'll do our best to help you, absolutely. Two questions. Um, the first is uh, reflecting on your statement that in schools, financial issues are often swept under the rug. And if I'm not paraphrasing too much, the, the question is, do you know of any programs where financial training is actually part of the program and yeah. also um, training in the business of art? actively taught and then the second part of that question was do you see uh, differences in the difficulties faced by artists that are working in performance um, versus artists that are working more in object-based art yeah um, yeah so definitely there was a you know just a little anecdote like when I was in school you know we, we part of the reason we were created because we would ask questions of that to people you know, to, the, to some of the faculty or some of the, you know, the, 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 who, would, who would just be kind of equally um, up a creek without the knowledge that, you know, of how to deal with student loans and, and they didn't really know. I mean, they're, te they're teaching us this incredible artistic education. It's not really their job to teach us the finance, edu finance education. Um, you know, they would say things like, oh, you'll get a commercial. You know, like, and that is possible that you get a commercial and make a lot of money, um, but that's really not really that likely um, in terms of, the, you know, how many students are in each year. Um, so we're happy to say that we come in to, you know, that's, that's why we, you know, we started teaching is because we want to fill that gap. We want to fill that gap of uh, the finance uh, education. Um, and schools are getting better at it and better, you know, it's becoming a part of the curriculum where at least, at least one time in their, in their, you know, in a student's education, they'll have somebody of some kind of finance background come in and give some kind of information. Um, and I think that that is inc incredibly increasing. It's getting better and better. So I think that is definitely changing. Um, it needs to be even more, in my opinion. It needs to be like a, you know, a class. I'm not sure, at least in the performance-based um, um, educational programs, I don't know if there is a, I, I can't name off the top of my head where it runs through the entire time you're at school. I don't think there is one. Um, I would say that like, you know, stage management or like theater management probably have business classes but not personal business classes, personal finance classes. So, I mean, again, it's something that, that more and more educational companies or um, educational organizations or, you know, colleges and universities are getting, getting used to and realizing that it needs to be a, an integral part of teaching artists. Um, and I think it is getting better. Uh, and so, yeah, again, like that was one of the reasons why our program is so great is because we said, you guys, you have a huge hole here. We'll fill it, you know. <laughs> we want to be the ones to teach people what we wish we had learned. Um, and so NYU Grad Acting has a, you know, is an amazing way that, is an amazing program that way. Um, so in terms of the differences between the performance and visual artists, I mean, I would say the main difference that I know of is that most performance artists have a union behind them. And most visual artists just don't. And I think that it's going to be almost impossible for visual, I mean, no, not impossible. It's going to be a huge battle, a huge climb to figure out, A, how to unionize visual artists, and B, how to, like, I don't even know what it is, B. I don't just, like, how to figure out how to make that work. I don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is to that. I mean, you know, 
that's what I've seen is the biggest difference. Um, but the issues remain the same, in my opinion, in terms of erratic income, underemployment, t working for free, you know, all these things we've been talking about. It's all kind of the same. I would really uh, urge you also to go back and listen to the podcast of the first talk by the labor economists that came here. If you haven't done that already, they discussed union issues um, and made some parallels between musicians and visual artists and talked about contracts and things like that where they gave very actionable suggestions about how visual artists could strengthen themselves by using parallels from performing arts. Can I also add, I, I mentioned earlier that, um, that I, was, I was talking about Yale and how their, you know, their tuition is, um, is uh, they have a, an amazing package now. And I, what I meant was that the Yale School of Drama MFA program has an amazing package. I'm not sure what the other not programs the at Yale are like at all. Um, but I just wanted to clarify that before we moved on. Yeah, and actually there's a quote from, I believe, the dean of the school yeah. um, in the um, debt sentence article talking about the Yale acting program being one of the only programs that actors could afford because yeah. they're so aggressive with the funding. Yeah, well actually I'm not sure if that's completely true. There are a lot of um, uh, acting programs now that that are tuition free or tuition, like the tuition is really low, like, um, what are a couple off the top of my head? University of San Diego is tuition free. They pay a stipend too. I think the University of Tennessee Knoxville is free. Um, and uh, UCSD, I think, has an amazing financial pr package. So there are, it's getting, you know, wow. these elite training programs are getting, you know, they're realizing that to compete, A, with each other and with just the art business in general, you have to get these kids in through school with as little tuition as possible. And that's just how it has to go. There's just no other way around it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. The question is, um, you discussed the, the support group and the communal aspect of the program and sharing, and as the program grows and grows, will you get uh, more technical assistance yeah. to specifically yeah. how do you work with professional advisors? Yeah, um, you know, it's one of the things that we, have to, that we say at, the, at the, you know, the support group meetings and in our workshops, you know, we're not financial planners. We're not CPAs. We don't have business degrees. We're, we're working artists living this experience. So the things that we have to say are just advice. You know, people have to take what we have to say on their own volition um, and, and do the research themselves. Be financially self-advocating and, and do, the, do what they, what's right for them. So uh, in, our, in our quest to broaden our horizons and to become, you know, to cover other topics and, and uh, and do that kind of thing like we we have like for example we just um we're working on a, on a tax workshop for for actors um how to how to understand taxes from a very simple level we we're working with this great uh uh tax preparer named dominic comparatore um and uh he's really really good and, and he's an actor himself and so he's a professional tax preparer and also a professional actor so we're you know we have to find people who are our allies to to help us figure out how the other portions of our financial lives are, are, are set up. Um, so we're working on, with him on a tax workshop. Um, and uh, we want to do other things like that. Eventually, we want to do one, a workshop for artists on investing. We want to do a workshop for artists 
on retirement. We want to do workshops for us on how to buy a home. And granted, there are organizations that are doing these things already, and you should seek them out. Um, but we want to do that also for our, we want to have that in our workshop, you know, in our, in our stable of workshops. So these are all things that, that we need to, that we do actually need to define people. Um, and in almost every art, uh, I would say, that there is somebody who was an artist in that version, in that, who has left and become a, pro a professional tax preparer, professional stockbroker, professional, you know, retirement advisor. Like, there, I'm, I almost guarantee you that in almost any arts, you know, discipline, that that exists. So... I think what it's going to be is going to have to is going to have to find those people through you know outreach and talking to people like this um, and getting them getting them on board <laughs> and you know they have found some stability in their next career and we want them to help with the art the arts career so if you have if you're a professional investor who was an artist please talk to us. <laughs> so if I can summarize um, this comment no it's okay. this this commenter is a visual artist a photographer and mentioned the organization debtfair.org which is another great ally organization in the discussion about educational debt and artists and finances um, and then there was another point about um, artists and um, mandating um, parts of the curriculum, expanding the curriculum, and having more of a top-down sort of um, um, mandate, I guess for lack of a, for lack of a new word, um, in, in the curriculum so that things like business and things like, you know, yeah. um, artist finances are covered. Yeah. I mean, uh, I haven't heard of Debt Fair, uh, but I think, you know, any organization that is working towards this, you know, issue is great so i'm not really sure about them but um uh, personally but i like i would i'm gonna i'm gonna check them out when i get home um uh you know in, in terms of like a mandate of you know financial education i mean i i think that would be a good idea <laughs> i don't i don't know if how that would be implemented because there's so many different schools and organizations that teach artists but um and people in general every every discipline of everything um i mean i think i think learning you know financial education is sorely lacking in our educational systems, and I think that that's a great idea. I don't know how it would be implemented, though. And, and back to our earlier discussion, I think that financial literacy really needs to show up in high school or earlier. Yeah. Um, there was a recent article, I think, um, again in the in the Guardian, perhaps. Um, I'm sorry, I can't be more specific, but it was talking about financial habits being set in an individual by the time they're like seven or eight years old. So you've already got attitudes yeah. in place at that time. So why is it that we're not uh, taking that opportunity to address financial, financial literacy in school? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Before people are being asked to make significant financial commitments without training or background. Yeah. This is really interesting. The, this comment is about organizations that would fund or sponsor an exhibition um, or guarantee the purchase of one or two works of art from the exhibition as a way of paying the artist for their work, although the um, institution where the exhibition is being held may not themselves fund the artist or pay fees or compensate the artist in any way. So that list um, it's suggested maybe something that, that could be researched through a library 
librarians finding funders and um, philanthropists that would engage with an artist in that way, which is an interesting idea. Yeah. Li librarians as allies in this. Um, it makes me think of something that you mentioned earlier, which was um, an interest-free loan that you got. Yeah. Um, would you mind sharing? Uh, because that struck me at the time as being a philanthropic sort of yeah. um, um, asset. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's an amazing organization called the Jewish Free Loan Association in, based out of L.A. in California. Um, and it's obviously not for just Jewish people anymore. It's for uh, people of all kinds. Um, and uh, they give interest-free loans. And part of their mandate is to give student loans. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't a large portion of money, but it was um, definitely, you know, important in my. It turned out to be very important in my own financial package. And was that a student loan that you got at the time that you were a student, or could it almost be be a consolidation loan after the fact? No, I got it. I got it when I was a student. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's interesting. The Jewish Free Loan Association. Association. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah I mean, I'm sure, and I'm, but the thing about you know, I, I'm sure that there are other organizations that do similar things. Mm -hmm for different groups of people also. So I, I don't know what those are off the top of my head, but you know, there are organizations out there that do things like that. It would never have occurred to me to look at that, so here we are back at the library. Yeah. But it is <laughs> a loan, so I'm still, you know, I'm still paying it back, but um, you know, it's But at least free. it's not, yeah, <laughs> no, the interest it's, it's is huge. not working the, against the money, you. <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. The money I saved from that loan is exponentially more valuable nowadays than it was when I took it out, you know? Right. If I were to take out a regular loan. Thank you so much for yeah. all of this information. Yeah. Again, they can be found online. Just Google Artist Financial Support Group. There's Actually, also I figured it out. It's artistsfinancial.org. Artistsfinancial.org. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, Artists Financial Support Group. Also on Twitter, artists at artistsfsg. So artists is plural. And if you <laughs> sign up for the newsletter, then you'll get announcements, including the next date of the monthly support the, the monthly support program that's right yeah and all and, and, and the other events like this too wonderful yeah. thank you so much for coming tonight thank you for having me <laughs>